Amen. We are covered by the grace of God. Amen, everyone. Um, thank you, worship team, for, for leading us this Sunday morning in worship. And I want to welcome you all, wherever you are joining us from, uh, whether in New York City or outside of New York City, around the world. Uh, welcome to our Sunday worship gathering. For those of you who are new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. And wherever you are joining us from, whether it's Facebook, newlife.nyc, or on YouTube, or later on maybe you're listening on a podcast, it's just so uh, good to have you worship with us. We are in a series through the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8. We're in the Eastertide season, and we are taking the next 10 weeks or so to focus on one chapter in the Bible and it is one of the more powerful chapters in all of the scriptures, which is why we're spending some time in it. But before we open up scripture together, I wanted to give you some new information as it relates to what's happening at New Life Fellowship with regard to in-person worship. And so I uh, wanted to let you know that starting May 2nd, that is two weeks from today, we are going to reopen for in-person worship. Somebody say amen in the chat section and, and all that there. Put some emojis, whatever you want to put on there. But in two weeks, we're going to reopen. And so starting May 2nd, we'll do that. We're going to have, like we did last time, we'll have a 1030 service. It's going to be at 25% of normal capacity, which means there's going to be about 100 people inside of the room. Social distancing, of course, will be maintained. Masks will be required in the building like we did before. Here's a big difference elementary ministry will be available with limited capacity. And so just take note of that. Uh, elementary ministry will be available with limited capacity. And of course, live streaming will continue. So feel free to watch online. The vast majority of our church on a given Sunday will be watching online, but slowly and surely we are uh, going to step back into in-person worship. And so for more information at our website, it says, you know, New Life Reopening FAQs. There's a number of frequently asked questions that we have heard and have prepared for you. And so Take a look at that document before uh, you register and all that. And so we'll, we'll get, get all that information out to you. But in two weeks, next week, we'll probably hear some more information about this. But uh, it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing some of your faces and connecting with you uh, in person, not just on Zoom. And I love Zoom. Uh, but it's not a, a replacement for the kind of face-to-face uh, presence that we were made for. And so, amen. I'm very excited about that. More information to come. Okay, we're continuing our series through the book of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be focusing on verses 3 and 4, some of verse 2, but I want to read to you verses 1 through 4 again, and so you can follow on the screen if you have your Bible and you want to mark up your own Bible, feel free to do that as well. But hear the word of the Lord, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse Number one, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the spirit of the, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Lord, uh, thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture, and we pray that your Spirit would speak to us deep in our souls, that we would be the people you have called us to be in this world. Give us revelation and illumination as we look to your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a college student, there was a moment when I realized that there are certain things that I cannot do in my own strength. I had a roommate who was kind of the overseer of the workout facility on the college campus. And every single week, he would invite me to go to the gym with him to work out. And every week, I would say no. Lifting weights and such has never been my thing. Uh, but I love playing basketball and all that. But he would say, come on, work out with me. Let's go. Let's get in the gym. And I would say, no, no, no. He pestered me so much after a number of weeks that I said, you know what? I'm going to work out. And so I go into the gym. I kind of like break down the door there and walk into the gym. And the first thing I look for is not uh, the stretching area, not the, the elliptical, not the treadmill. Uh, I got something to prove to him and to myself that, that I know what I'm doing here. And so I go right to the bench press area. Amen. I go to the bench press area. And so I, I put on a couple of pounds on it, not a whole lot of pounds, a couple of pounds on it. And he asks me if he could be my spotter, my spotter. Now, a spotter, for those of you uh, who go to the gym maybe once every three years or so like me, uh, is a person who stands over you as you are bench pressing so that when the weight comes down, they help you lift it up, especially when things get a bit too heavy for your own strength. He said, Rich, can I be your spotter? I said, no need, man. I'm all good to go. And so I get on the bench here. I got my headband on. Uh, amen. I got my converses on. I didn't have any chalk with me or anything like that to make me look like I was a real bodybuilder and such. But I said, no, I got it. I get on the bench uh, with weights that look less than that probably. And, and I take a deep breath and the weight comes down. And at that moment, this is like my moment to shine. You know, there were probably three other people in the gym, but this is my moment to shine. And instead of the weight coming back up, the weight stayed down. This, this was me, essentially, uh, at the gym at Nyack College as a 22-year-old college student. And then my friend came over and in that moment rushed over as he could see I needed a little bit of help. And he began to help me lift it up. He probably did all the work. He lifted it all up to the top and I was able to uh, survive that moment. Now, that that was 20 years ago. I have not benched press in the past 20 years because of that traumatic experience. And as I thought about my own trauma <laughs> in the gym as a 22-year-old college student, and as I read Romans chapter 8 this past week, I thought about God because spiritually speaking, God is our spotter. Now, the metaphor is not perfect. I know that. But there's good news for us today that because God is our divine spotter, God enables us to do things that we cannot do in our own strength, which is a great definition of what grace is. Grace is, I love what Dallas Willis said, grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. That's a good definition of grace. 
God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. And this is to say that the Christian is to live by grace. It's often the case that we think grace is a one-time thing, that we receive the grace of God, we're rescued, we're saved, we're forgiven, and then the rest of our lives is up to us. But that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. We are to live by the grace of God. I need grace every single day of my life. I need grace to forgive. I need grace to be generous. I need grace to speak the truth. I need grace to bite my tongue. I need grace to speak pray. I need grace to serve others. I need grace every single moment of my life because it is God working on my behalf to do what I can't do on my own. This is what we see in our text today, that through the Holy Spirit, God enables us to do something that we could not do before and cannot do alone. Now, last week, we started this chapter on Romans 8, and we began by highlighting two words that Paul speaks and Paul writes that really serve as the foundation of so much theology in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul speaks two words that when we read it, every single time we read these words, it should make us jump for joy. It should get us incredibly excited. Paul says, there is no condemnation. Those are the two words, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, last week I mentioned that to say that there's no condemnation means a few things. It means that you know what the verdict on you is going to be ahead of time. That for followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, we don't wait until judgment day to figure out what the verdict is going to be. We know what the verdict already is in Christ Jesus. It means that we don't have to live in fear or uncertainty because there is now no condemnation. We are in Christ. It means that God has made up his mind about you. God has made up his mind about you. His mind is made up in love. His mind is made up in justification. He has chosen you. He has poured out love. His mind is made up about you already. Amen. And so right after this, Paul goes into commentary. He talks about no condemnation, and then he goes into some commentary about the law. And it gets a bit complicated in the next couple of verses, but I'll try to highlight some important aspects of what Paul is getting at. And so in verse 3, Paul continues to write this, this good news for us, and he says that what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Let's slow down here for a second. Paul says, the law was given. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the first five books in the Old Testament. He's talking about the law which was exemplified in the Ten Commandments. He says the law was given, but the law in and of itself is not strong enough for the flesh. The law can tell us what to do, but the law cannot produce in us what God ultimately requires of us because our flesh, that is our sinful nature, 
is stronger. And because of its strength, it dilutes. It, it weakens the law to do what it was intended to do. So, so what Paul is getting at is the law is unable to do it because it was weakened through our sinful flesh. That is, the law cannot save us. The law cannot produce righteousness in us. The law is good. But the law is limited in what it can do. And this is a good reminder for us because our relationship with God can never be predicated on following the law. Our salvation is never grounded in the law. Why? Because we can never live up to the commands of the law. But even so, Paul says there's no reason to fear. Why? Because even though the law can't save us, Christ can. Amen. Your morality can't save you, but Christ can. Your sophisticated theology can't save you, but Christ can. Your adherence to a particular way of life can't save you, but Christ can. Only Christ can save us, which is why Paul says in verse 3 that God did it. He says what the law was powerless to do, God already did it. How? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God already did it. God did it by sending his son to be a sin offering and in so doing condemned Sin And Paul is getting at something so beautiful and incredibly important. Christ condemns sin. He strips sin of its condemning power over us. Now remember what I said last week. Sin is not just something that we do. Sin is a power that is holding the world captive. But Christ... In his work on the cross, strips the power of sin. And in so doing, he transports us to a different reality. He transports us to a new dimension, a dimension not dominated by sin, a dimension dominated by the Spirit. And in this new reality, sin no longer bosses you around. In this new reality, the power, that is the capital P, power of sin, no longer defines your existence. Sin no longer has any authority over you. No condemnation. What Paul says means you don't have to live here anymore. Sin does not have to boss you around. You are free, and you are free to go. That's good news. Now, over the past month, I've been thinking about Paul and, and, and Romans chapter 8 and these words, no condemnation, and I found something that really would help us make sense of this all. Over the past month, every Friday, I have been obsessed with another Disney show. Someone on uh, Shirley Ng, one of our new lifers, said, I think you work for Disney uh, uh, because you talk about it a lot. I, I don't work for Disney. Uh, I wish I got some commission, amen, off of all the advertisements I'm giving Disney. But there is a show that I'm obsessed with. The first one I was obsessed with, you heard about it in the last sermon series, uh, was WandaVision. But this year and this month, it is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, I, and I got to be careful that I don't turn the rest of this sermon into a running commentary on this uh, incredible show. But I, I will not do that, but there's a couple of scenes in particular that I think help us understand what's happening in Romans chapter 8. 
One of the uh, star characters in the show is a guy named the Winter Soldier. He's a guy named Bucky who is a super soldier, which basically means he has enhanced powers. But he is someone who for a number of years was under the control of an evil organization called Hydra. Now, they brainwashed him repeatedly, which basically led him to be a slave for their purposes. They brainwashed him to such a degree that all Hydra had to do was repeat certain words. And whenever the winter soldier would hear certain words, he was again under their control to do all kinds of evil things. But in the course of the winter soldier, this guy named Bucky's journey, he was taken to Wakanda. Amen. And the Wakandans, through their brilliance, through their advanced technology and such, helped him overcome the many years of brainwashing that he endured. And there's one scene in the, in the series that gets at the moment of his transformation, the moment of his liberation, the moment of his, as it were, salvation where those same words are spoken over him and he gets to the place in his life where he realizes, wow, I am free from the brainwashing. I am free from being controlled by this evil organization. When I saw this, I said, look, the Holy Spirit's all over this show. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. A beautiful scene. But there was another scene right after this that was incredibly powerful. You see, right after this scene, Bucky, the winter soldier would encounter the guy who was responsible for his brainwashing. And when the guy sees Bucky for the first time in a long time, he speaks the words that in the past would brainwash him and have him immediately do what he wanted him to do. And so he speaks those same words, and this time, because Bucky has already experienced something, says these words to this guy named Zemo. He says, those days are over. In other words, you, you don't have power over me like you used to. I don't work for you anymore. You can't tell me nothing. And this is what happens. When I saw that, I said, oh, Holy Spirit, you are speaking to me right now. This is what happens when Christ declares no condemnation over you any longer. Whenever the evil one tries to condemn, whenever your inner critic comes to the surface, you have to respond by saying, I have a new boss. There is a new authority over me. I'm in a new reality. And in this new reality, I'm forgiven. In this new reality, I'm set free. In this new reality, I'm a new creation in Christ. In this new reality, I am rescued. In verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul is saying we have a new status, we have a new identity, we have a new standing, that being in Christ means we're no longer ruled by the powers of sin and death any longer. We've been transported into a new place, a new dimension, a new reality. But this is where we have to continue to move on in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, because this new identity, this new standing is to lead to a new spirit a new way of living in the world. To say it this way, God declares no condemnation over you because of what Christ has done 
in order that you may be empowered to live as Christ has lived. God declares no condemnation because of what Christ has done in order that you may be empowered to live as Christ has lived. And so look at verses 3 and then look at verses 4 with me. Paul says these words. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Look, and here are the, the phrases. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ died not only that the law would be fulfilled for us, but that the law would be fulfilled in us. And that's really important for us to hold on to. Christ died not just so that the law could be fulfilled for us, but that the law could be fulfilled in us. To be in relationship with Christ means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to fulfill the requirement of the law. The question is, what is the requirement of the law? Paul answers that question five chapters later in Romans 13, and I want to jump to there for one second. What is the requirement of the law? Look at what Paul says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You hear that? Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. A hundred percent church attendance does not mean you fulfill the law. Doing good things here and there does not mean you have fulfilled the law. Loving one another means you have fulfilled the law. Paul saying, this new status is to lead to a new spirit. And this flow of logic that Paul writes about in Romans 8 comes against two particular camps that we often find ourselves unwittingly living in. Romans 8, the logic of Romans 8 speaks against the camp of legalism and the camp of license or licentiousness. The camp of legalism essentially says that I need to live a particular way so that God doesn't condemn me. That, that condemnation is based on what I do ultimately. And so the sentence then is, I do, if I do this, then God will love me. And we build an entire life around our own religious performance, around our good behavior, believing that if we can just do enough, then God will love us. That's the camp of legalism. On the other side of the spectrum are many Christians who live, and again, we might not confess this theologically, intellectually, but functionally we live this, where uh, because God loves me, it doesn't matter how I live. Because God loves me, it doesn't matter what I do with my money. Because God loves me, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. Because God loves me, it doesn't matter my tone and the way I live in the world. No, no, God loves me no matter what. And of course, that's true that God loves us no matter what. But even though it's true, that does not mean it's right. And that's not what Paul is getting at in his logic in Romans chapter 8. God announces no condemnation in order that we would say no to living in the realm of sin. 
To say it this way, those who have been freed from the curse of the law are now liberated to keep the law's command. And we fulfill the law when we love well. And so what we see in Paul in this logic in these first few verses is language of expectation. God has pronounced no condemnation over us. But at the same time, there's an expectation that God has for us, for the people of God. And the expectation is that we would be people marked by love. This is Jesus in John 13, 35, when he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? That you love one another. That our love gives expression to the reality that we are Christ's disciples. Notice what he, Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, they will know that you belong to me by your theology. No, he says, you will know, they will know that you belong to me by the way that you vote. No, the, they will know you belong to me by your judgmentalism. No, they will know you belong to me by your love. Christians are to be in the business of love. And this is the fulfillment of the law that Christ calls us to every single day. This is the expectation of fulfilling the law. We fulfill the law when we want to curse somebody out. I know no one is doing that this past week on social media. But instead of cursing somebody out, you choose to pray for that person. We fulfill the law when we want to remain silent in the face of injustice. But instead, we speak out courageously and in love. We fulfill the law when, when we choose to be present with our children, when everything inside of us wants to be present on social media. We fulfill the law when we are generous with our money. We fulfill the law when we offer forgiveness. We fulfill the law when we listen to the stories of people who have been abused and marginalized. We fulfill the law when we do these things. This is the expectation that Jesus has for his followers, that we would fulfill the requirements of the law. But thanks be to God that Jesus doesn't just give an expectation, but for every expectation he gives, he provides the empowerment as well. To do all the things that I mentioned in our own strength would have us looking like me in the gym uh, as a 22-year-old carrying the weight of it all without having the strength to lift it up. And many of us are looking like this, trying to follow Christ and trying to live in our own strength. But I love what Paul says. Christ calls us to fulfill the law, but in so doing, he gives us the empowerment to do so. And so Paul writes that the law is to be fully met in us for those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The way to fulfilling the law and having the law met in us is by living in the Spirit. And we're going to talk about this in coming weeks. It's often the case that people think that to live in the Spirit simply means just getting visions and revelations. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us in a myriad of ways and God gives visions and God gives revelations and God gives prophetic words and we are to receive them with gladness and joy for the sake of love. It's often the case that people think that to, to walk in the Spirit means that we're just speaking in tongues and in different languages and I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to have us communicate to the Holy Spirit in ways that, beyond, that are beyond our rationality. But to walk in the Spirit is not simply about visions and revelations and speaking in tongues. This is what Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians 13. To live in the Spirit is to so fixate our minds on Jesus Christ that the life and love of Christ is permeating our beings that our entire existence is one that's based in love and defined by love. To live in the Spirit is to set our minds on Christ Jesus. And there's something about setting our minds on Christ. This is what we're going to learn about in verses 5 and 6 and 7 later on in a couple of weeks. To, to set our minds on Christ is to so behold Jesus that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit begins to transform us into his image, which is why one of the great spiritual practices you can give yourself to this week is to behold the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Study the life of Jesus absorb his words look at the way he walks look at the way he speaks look at his mercy look at his love look at his truth telling observe and meditate on our lord jesus christ and in so doing the holy spirit begins to do something in us because we become what we ultimately behold this is why in our time this week we we are to set ourselves in prayer and and behold the beauty of Jesus in prayer and in silence and in meditation and it's hard to understand how it happens but when we fix our attention on Jesus the Holy Spirit begins to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is what it means those who are living according to the Spirit. That we so fix our minds on God that God begins to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. The question for us this day is what are you having a hard time doing in your own strength? The question for us today is who have, are you having a hard time loving in your own strength? What are the struggles you're having a hard time overcoming in your own strength? Where do you need God's empowerment today? Now, to live in this way doesn't mean that we're going to live right and perfectly all the time. To be filled with the Spirit, to be walking the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit, doesn't mean we're not going to have ups and downs. But it does mean that our hearts are oriented towards God and oriented to our neighbor in love. Let me tell you how this worked out for me this past week in my relationship with one of my neighbors my neighbor, also known as my son, who's one of my first neighbors. This past week, I, there was a moment where I woke up and I, was, I, I, was, I prayed and I was reading the Bible. I had a good moment of journaling. And, and, and you ever had a moment where you pray, you're, you're, you're silent before God, you feel like you're hearing God, and, and you, you wake up from that time or get up from that time? You're just feeling extra holy. 
You're just extra good about yourself. Your heart is a little tender. You're just feeling, yeah, I'm feeling pretty godly today. I'm feeling pretty holy today. And so, and so I was feeling pretty good about myself that morning. My relationship with God felt pretty good. I get up from my time with God every time when I pray, and I, I pray a very simple phrase, Lord, may I love you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and may I love my neighbor, beginning with my first neighbors in my own home. May I love them as I love myself. And I begin with that. Felt really good. And about 10 or 15 minutes later, I was triggered by something my son was doing. His behavior that particular morning. And in a moment of irritation, in a moment of impatience, in a moment of harshness, I was really harsh with him and how I responded to him. Impatient with him. Harsh with him. And I could tell that I hurt him in the way that I spoke to him. I stepped away from that moment of high intensity and high emotion. First of all, thinking, it was just 15 minutes ago. <laughs> That I was feeling all holy and all godly and all that there. What in the world happened to me in 15 minutes? I went to my room for a moment, came back out, and said to Nathan, you know, son, I'm, I'm sorry for how I spoke to you. That was not kind of me. That was not nice of me. What I realized after that was part of me thinking, man, I got to start all over now. I prayed, felt good. I was impatient, harsh. I got to start all over now. But I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Rich, in that moment where you were asking for forgiveness from your six-year-old son, you are living according to the Spirit. In other words, to live according to the Spirit does not mean moral perfection. To live according to the Spirit means that, doesn't mean that you're always going to have the right things to say. To live according to the Spirit doesn't mean that you're not going to have any struggles. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad day here or there, a bad week here or there. To live according to the Spirit means that ultimately my heart is oriented towards God and oriented to my neighbor. And sometimes, to be oriented doesn't mean that it feels good. It doesn't mean that it comes easy. To go back to my son and ask for forgiveness from a six-year-old, I didn't feel good about it. But that's, it is in those moments even when I don't feel good about doing something, and yet I choose to go in the way of Jesus, that I'm living according to the Spirit. And so be of good cheer, brothers and sisters. This week, you might have one of those occasions where you sense the presence of God, where you feel a little godly and holy, and then it goes downhill from there. But to live in the Spirit doesn't mean that we don't have moments where it goes downhill. To live in the Spirit means that ultimately my heart is oriented towards God and towards my neighbor in love. And that's how God, through the Holy Spirit, enables me and empowers me to fulfill the requirement of the law. And we do all these things not to curry the favor of God. We do all these things because God has already been faithful to us in Christ Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, God does in us what Christ has already done for us.
fulfill the requirement of the law. And that's good news for us this day. Let's pray together. I want to give you about 30 seconds or so to hold this past week before the Lord. Maybe you have been impatient. You have been struggling. I want to give you an opportunity to just sit before Jesus. Maybe you're, you're in your kitchen right now making yourself a cup of coffee. Just put that coffee down to, for the side for a second and just close your eyes, take a deep breath in. Just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, our divine spotter, the one who does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. All he asks is that we would yield to him. I want to give you 30 seconds of just maybe your prayers. Lord, work in me. Lord, fulfill the law in me. I can't do it on my own, but you can through your spirit. I open myself up to you this day. Let me give you 30 seconds and then I'll pray for us and we'll close our time. Lord Jesus, you speak those words over us, no condemnation. And out of that good news, you call us to a particular expectation. But Lord, we give you praise that for every expectation you ask of us, you give us the empowerment to do it. And so we open ourselves up to you that we would rejoice in the truth that the law has been fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the truth that the Holy Spirit is with us to fulfill the law in us. Give us grace now for this day and this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service, brothers and sisters, I want to let you know of a few things that uh, you can do as a next step for in the light of this message. At the end of our service, we're going to have, as we usually do, a sermon discussion time. And there was lots that was uh, preached today, lots of good news for us, lots of things to wrestle with, and one of our pastors will be leading that time. And so feel free to click on that link and for 30 minutes, connect with other new lifers and maybe share what God is doing in your own life and have a time of just discussion. That'll go on for 30 minutes right after this service. In addition to that, there's some of you watching right now, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never invited him into your life. You've never said, I want to follow you because what I'm following today is not rescuing me. The life that I'm living is not fulfilling me. I, I realize that there's something else deeper that I'm needing in my life. If you're sensing God calling your name, 
if you're sensing God calling you into a relationship with, with him, I want you to text to that number on the screen, yes to Jesus. And if you sense something in you, you maybe you can't even explain what it is. It's just this overwhelming feeling to respond. We want you to respond. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you to help you take the next step in your spiritual journey. And maybe you just need someone to talk to about spiritual matters. We want to help you along those lines. So just text yes to Jesus to that number on the screen. Lastly, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We hold our hands in this way because it's a posture of receiving. And it is out of receiving that we are called to give to the world. And so, with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the law of love. May God give you grace to do it. May he empower you to do it. And may people come to know of the saving love of Jesus through your life. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the loving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. See you next week.